This is the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Larkin. Welcome back to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here, live and alive. I'm still alive in my playoffs. I hope you guys, if you're playing in a head-to-head league, guys and gals, if you're in a head-to-head league, hopefully you're alive. I am alive. I'm a miracle team. I qualified for the playoffs on a tiebreaker, and then I beat the first-place team to advance to the semifinal also on a tiebreaker. So I'm just I'm a team of destiny, Cinderella. So it's good because if I if I miss the playoffs, then I you know I wouldn't feel as qualified to give advice today. I'm going to try and help you out as best I can for your stretch run, whether it's head to head or if you're in a roto league, you're just in the final stretch of your season trying to catch that first place team, perhaps. So let's get to some advice. We're going to do pickups first. Shallow league. Sam Bennett, left winger or is he? Is he a center now with the Florida Panthers? Second line center available in 44% of leagues. And it's very fascinating to see the Panthers immediately giving Sam Bennett a much bigger role than he ever got in Calgary, which is funny because I used to say it's a chicken and egg. Has Sam Bennett not earned a bigger role in Calgary? Did they just not give him a bigger role? Well, so far, it looks more like the latter because the Panthers, the ice time, 1804 per game. It was 1328 this season as a flame. He's playing with Jonathan Huberto. He's got four goals, 10 points, 20 hits in seven games. And that's that's the type of player that I call a league winner just based on what time of year it is. If you picked up Sam Bennett, there's a good chance you're going on a heater. If he's filling out the bottom of your roster, maybe you're still alive or you're making a late run in your Roto League as well. So great pickup right now. He seems to be finding that potential that he supposedly had when he was a top five draft pick in 2014. Medium league pickup. Dennis Gurianov, another former first-rounder, 27% available. And this is someone, you know, when someone with a pedigree like Gurianov starts to get hot, even though he's had a down year, a disappointing year, you still have to pay attention. He showed a lot of potential last year, very efficient and limited role. He flashed a lot in the postseason as well. And he's got five goals in his past eight games. He's shooting the puck a lot. And this is something that's unique to the COVID season. You have to pay attention to teams that had problems early in the year, and then their schedules condensed down the stretch. A lot of people are playing fantasy championships in head-to-head leagues next week, and the Dallas Stars, because of the fact they missed a lot of games early in the year, they play four times next week. So that makes the schedule particularly relevant, and Guriana, he checks the box of having a lot of games left, and he's playing well right now. A deep lead pickup for you guys. We're going to go with Cal Peterson, 25% available, LA Kings. He's sharing the net with Jonathan Quick, but he's starting to get a bigger share of that pie recently. And if you follow the advanced goalie metrics, they tell you that Cal Peterson's been one of the better goaltenders in the league. He doesn't have the best support in front of him overall this season, but he's shown a lot of flashes. And the schedule matters. I'm going to get to this more later. But the Kings, they play four games in the next six days. And that includes as a back-to-back in there. It's three in a row against Anaheim, which is having a devil of a time scoring. you got the Coyotes in there as well. So you're looking at minimum two starts over that stretch for Cal Peterson. Pretty good chance he plays three of those games. And that matters right now. You're trying to break a tie between two goaltenders you're trying to pick up. Pick the guy who's going to play more. And Peterson, there's a good chance he's going to play a lot in the next week or so. The WTF pickup of the week. Ryan Ellis, available in 55% of leagues. He's been forgotten. I'm kind of wondering what's, what's happening with Ryan Ellis. Is, you know, did he just get stuck on some teams that missed the playoffs because they were without him for much of the season, and then he's just kind of rotting on rosters? At the same time, he's available in so many leagues at the moment. He 
was injured for a while. He returned in April. He's still producing like a borderline elite fantasy defenseman. Six points, 20 shots in his last nine games. So if he's available, if you're in one of this, these shallow leagues, there's no reason why Ryan Ellis should be available in any league. He should be 100% owned. He's one of the better offensive defensemen in the league. He's just sort of been forgotten in Nashville this year because his numbers are down. He's missed some time. Now, it's time for a tip of the week, and I sort of hinted at this when I mentioned Cal Peterson, and this is a time of year you need to study your goalie schedules. If you're alive, you know every game counts right now, and this season, the goaltenders are so difficult to navigate, and if you're looking for a number one goalie who's playing a lot of games, you want a balanced week because nobody's playing back-to-backs these days. If you're looking for a goalie whose team plays every second day, that means that number one goalie, good chance he's going to start every one of those games. If you're trying to stream a good goaltender who's more of a backup type, maybe it's a Jeremy Swayman, Ilya Sorokin, then you're looking for back-to-backs on the schedule because you know your number two who's really good but doesn't play that often, there's an excellent chance he's going to get in one of those two games, almost guaranteed, the way teams are managing their goaltenders right now. So this time of year, everybody's looking for an advantage, trying to find enough goalie games because goalies just don't play as much as they used to. So you have to really really closely study that schedule every single day and find out who's playing and just see who's got back-to-backs because the back-to-backs, they really give you a great hint. It, it helps you predict who's going to play. So, Stephen, I'm ready for you. Stephen Ellis, our producer, if you've got questions, I'm ready to tackle these puppies. All righty. So, uh, in my fantasy hockey pool, I'm actually uh, – I'm still in the chance here to win it overall, which is good considering I was like dead last for a good portion of it. But I just have to win my next two matchups heading into the playoffs and because we, we start – or we have a longer regular season. If I win the next two matchups and the guy in first place doesn't win either of them, then I've got a shot. But I have to beat that guy next week. So, it's kind of a tough one. But, uh, man, it's been a, a good year. It, it, being in a small forward league team – four team lead can actually be a lot of fun it's it's not as much many teams but just the players you get are like you're having to sit like nathan mckinnon one night or sitting like sebastian that's kind of fun but anyways let's get into our questions because i love this guy's name i bet you this was their name they were born with marshall pancake man i made a crazy bet with a friend that mcdavid would hit 100 points this year or i would trade mcdavid to him for a 17th round pick first off stupid idea but do you (laughs) think he hits 100 points this year Oh wow! This is gonna, like this is kind of cause cause controversy in Marshall Pancake Man's league uh, if he's got to make this trade. But it's tough. I would have made the bet at the beginning of the season too. And McDavid, he's close, and we know he's proven he has a switch he can flick just to get to that hundred point mark. He needs nineteen points in his last ten games. And I was reminded, I actually went back and found this interview I did with McDavid uh, after his 100-point season, his first 100-point season, 2016-17. And I remember asking him about it because I was curious if it was something he was aware of down that stretch because he got 24 points in 13 games to get there. And he did say he was very aware of it. It wasn't a goal, but he was nervous. He was thinking about it a lot. So that tells me that these kind of milestones matter. And I think he's got a swagger to his game, right? He's, he's not your typical all-world humble superstar i think he believes in his talent he's not afraid to show a little bit of swagger so to me he strikes me as someone who would like to get to that century mark he's got 18 points in his past 10 games so he has to produce it better than the clip he's producing it right now so uh, the safe bet is to say he doesn't do it but i just i don't know i believe that mcdavid can just flick that switch when he wants to and he's got a lot of games against the vancouver canucks who are sort of They've been through a lot. They've gotten some surprising wins recently, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of check out down the stretch. They're out of the playoffs. They've had a really emotionally trying year. So McDavid, I think, has an opportunity to beat up on them. He has eight points in five games against them. So maybe they turn into his new Ottawa, his new team that he just pounds on. Um, So I don't know. 
19 points in 10 games is the big ask, but is there any player in the last 25 years more capable of doing it? No. So I'm going to say yes, and good luck, Marshall Pancake Man. It's going to be tough. Don't bet against McDavid. It's like, yeah. if again, if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's going to be him, but that's a tough ask. I, I never believed he was going to get 100 to begin with. All right, Arthur Curtis, if you could add a feature to any of the mainstream fantasy hockey sites, what would it be? I'm going to say salary cap. Oh, salary cap's a great one for sure. Um, the answer I thought of was a more accurate game counter. So I know a lot of mainstream online pools and, and apps, they've introduced a little counter that tells you how many games your, your guys, have, your goaltenders and skaters have played. And at least in my own league, it's a source of constant controversy. It's a headache because you're trying to not have a team. Like we have rules about game stacking. You're trying not to have more starts than your opponent. So it counts the games, except it doesn't count them accurately. If you have an injured guy in your lineup, it still gives you a game. Last week, I was cycling through backup goalies and I had Jonathan Bernier. I went and gave my daughter a bath and then like I missed the start of the Detroit game and then Bernier was left in my lineup and then the Yahoo counter said that Bernier played so my opponent was saying well that counts as a goalie game but he didn't play so to me a counter that would show games actually played and also starts not just appearances by goaltenders but starts would I think alleviate a lot of headaches if you're looking for fun features to add to mainstream. I think it would be neat if you got, you know, you, you do already have push notifications if your player scores a goal or something, but a push notification with a clip. So let's say, you know, you have Ovechkin and he scores a goal, you get a clip to your phone and you click it and it's, it's like telling you there's something you got to see and then you get to watch your guy score a goal immediately. Or if your goalie gets a shutout, it just sends you the last 10 seconds of the game and you're like, oh, cool. It would add to the adrenaline, I think, the excitement of it, getting to see these little moments happen more. So those would be my two choices. That last one's kind of a, a unique one. I'd never even thought of something like that. That's kind of cool. All right, next question from Joshua Hall. I play in a 64-team league. The quality of players, they aren't typically good. I would assume so. I, I, I would love to know the, the roster size, I'm going to guess. Imagine if it's like 20 players. Like this is, That's got to be silly. What's the biggest league size you'd be willing to play in? That's an interesting question. Yeah, because that league is even 10 players per team. That's 640 players. Yeah, wow. Imagine cool. if it's like one player per team. It's just everybody's got one player. Um, to me, that's way too much. The, the, the biggest league I ever played in was 20 teams, and that was very tight because it creates problems for the waiver wire. If the waiver wire is – if the league is too shallow, then there's no trades because they're like, well, why would I trade when, you know, JT Miller's available or someone really good is on the wire. There's no reason to, to trade. If you have a really big league, the wire becomes barren. Then there's just no activity. There's nobody to pick up. People are afraid to make any trades that aren't completely balanced because there's no one to pick up, and it just freezes the league. So that happened when I played in the 20-team league. It was actually terrible. Um, but I do like a deep league because you want to have scarcity. I also like a league uh, that allows for all types of players to be useful. So the league, I always use my own league as an example. The only reason why I do is because it's 20 years old, and we've been tinkering for so long. And in recent years, we've gotten it right. So I like to tell people about it because I think it's a really good formula, and I highly recommend it we've got 16 teams and we have real nhl lineups so you have 12 forwards that you start every night you have six defensemen you start every night and you have two goaltenders so it's like exactly what you dress in a real lineup and that's 16 times 20 that's 320 players in the pool so it's a deep league but there's not nobody on the wire you can still find good pickups or prospects you get you know i picked up cole caulfield in my league guys like that can still be available um, but it's still challenging enough it's not so barren that there's no activity there's still trades because Teams can still have weaknesses. And what I like about that configuration is it forces you to have so many different teams, like team styles. You can have a team that really went heavy on offense. And like I do that, I, I draft all forwards. I, don't, I lead my defenseman until the end. So it's like 
My team's a forward team that has a bunch of bruiser defensemen and physical guys who get blocks. And you can have another team that has really great defensemen and, you know, is more defensive forward, really good and plus minus. So there's just different ways you can construct your team. And that bigger configuration, I think, works. But I wouldn't go higher than 16. I think when you get past 16, the wire, it starts to get too barren. And how close can you really be to every general manager in a 64 team league? Like there's probably guys you've never heard of playing in that league, yeah. even if it's among friends. That's tough. That's really, that's intense. So that, that's tough. And I can imagine it'd be a few doormat uh, GMs out there too. So that, it would be a good question, Stephen. Just, I, I want to interrupt you for a second. So the question's from Joshua Hall. Joshua, if you're listening to this, can you, can you just like send me some screenshots? I just want to know more about this league. I'm pretty fascinated by it. So can you show me what the rosters look like? Maybe just tweet it to me because I think it sounds pretty hilarious. So I just want to know. Okay. This one comes from Jessica Leonard. And I love this question. I know you answered the McCarr versus Hughes question a few weeks ago. But what about Hughes versus Fox? If you're looking long-term, I have both, but can only keep one in my keeper league after this season. That's a good one. Yeah, and it's crazy. It, you know, a, a year ago, people wouldn't have thought that this was this close. Although Adam Fox, he was in, on my call to ballot too. I had him in the top three as well uh, a year ago. So this is tough. I think the question depends on if you have keeper contract limits. So if it's a league where you can only keep a player for a few years at a time, I think there's a case to be made that Adam Fox is right now the better keeper. He's 23. He's playing unbelievable hockey right now because he's good at both ends of the ice. He actually gets a lot of blocks too. So he has more goodies. He has more statistical versatility and fantasy than Quinn Hughes. Also, the Rangers seem to be further along in the rebuild. Didn't seem like that a year ago, but it does now. So I think you're going to get better production, peak production from Fox, especially with Artemi Panarin just going supernova. And the Rangers have a lot of good prospects coming up. And Lafreniere, Kapokaka are even showing signs of improvement as well well and Vitaly Kravtsov is getting into the mix too long term so I think Fox if it's one to three years if you're looking long long term or just if you have eternal keepers I still think I would lean slightly toward Quinn Hughes to me it's it's a testament to Hughes's talent that he's only 21 he's two years younger than Fox but we're still having this conversation it's so close that's how talented Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes is he's an age where Adam Fox wasn't even in the NHL when he was 21 yet right so I, I think if you look at the also the long-term pedigree, just what Hughes was expected to be, he was always projected to be a, a true star-caliber defenseman. And Fox, I think, has exceeded his projections. I think he's still absolutely the real deal. But I think Hughes is the one, if there's going to be a defenseman who you know, has an 80-point season or something down the road in a full, full sample size, I think maybe Hughes is more likely to get there first than Fox. Uh, and I think, obviously, Kale McCarr as well. So I think... Long term, just based on pedigree and what he's done already relative to age, I lean slightly to Hughes. But if you're just in a league where you're thinking the next few years, I, I think it's totally fair to go with Adam Fox, and I probably would. My own league, we have three-year keeper uh, limits, so I would keep Adam Fox over Quinn Hughes. I will say this, though, to New York Rangers fans, I know you guys really, really want Fox to win the, the Norris Trophy this year, but that's going to really hurt the Rangers in the next contract negotiations. You kind of almost want Victor Hedman to get it because if, he if Fox goes and gets it, does he ask for $11 million? I think he gets it if he does, but then you got to look at the long-term situation there in New York. So it's almost like you don't want him to win the Norris Trophy. He's probably going to be a long-term contender for it. So regardless... Fantastic defenseman. Doofus McDuff. I love that name. Is this my dad? This sounds like a name my dad would make up. That's what I thought my dad would do. <laughs> so I guess that's that's a thing. You guys talked about Cool Caulfield on the main podcast. Shout out to the main podcast on Monday. Make sure to check it out on all of our platforms. So I feel like stirring the pot a bit. 
in a fantasy in fantasy long term, would you rather have Caulfield, Nick Robertson, or Timmy Stuzel? Yeah, tough question. I thought about this one for a while. I think I I think I go Timmy Stutzel followed by Cole Caulfield followed by Nick Robertson. So obviously Stutzla is the the safest pick, and you know we know the pedigree he has. He's still a teenager. He has the highest chance to be you know like a hundred point scorer. That's that's in the conversation for Stutzla. He's that talented. He's got that game breaking speed, creativity, ability to take over a game. He showed it a lot at the World Juniors this year. He's looked like he belonged. He hasn't been necessarily the best rookie on the Senators because the Senators they're having such an intriguing season for their young guys like Josh Norris especially, um, but. The fact that as young as he is, Stutzla already shows he really belongs. It's a testament to what his ceiling is. I think he's going to be a big-time star. He's going to be the Senators' marquee score for years to come. So he's the safest. You've got the safest floor. Uh, I think if you're looking at ceiling, you could argue, because generally goals tend to matter more in fantasy, that Cole Caulfield's got an even higher ceiling, because if everything clicks, and we talked about Caulfield, of course, already in the previous podcast, but if it clicks for Cole Caulfield, he could be a 50-goal scorer. He's that gifted at putting the puck in the net. As I said on the main podcast, he's scored at every single level. So I put him second, close behind. If you're in a goals league, I think you can make a case, like a, like a league that actually weights goals more than assists, you can make a case that Caulfield should be number one of this trio. And then Nick Robertson, I put third. He's got maybe a safer path to having really good line mates because if you look at the Leafs cap situation, I don't know if they can afford to keep Zach Hyman next year. Either way, Robertson's got to be on the team next year because they need entry-level contracts just to get under the cap. So he's going to get a better opportunity next year. But if you look at his skill set, to me, Nick Robertson, he's almost like a a poor man's Caulfield, I think, in in terms of what his pedigree and expectation is. He's a small, shifty guy that has a natural goal-scoring ability, good shot. But I think Caulfield is just like everything that Robertson is known for doing. Caulfield has done it slightly better, and his pedigree is even more exciting. So I would go Stutzla, Caulfield, Robertson. In a goals league, Caulfield, Stutzla, Robertson. All right. This is a really good question. I was kind of hoping someone would ask at some point because I've been wondering myself. Victoria Sawyer asks, do you see fantasy hockey as a realistic avenue to get new fans interested in following the sport, or is it so just solely for the diehards? I know like betting, sports betting is a way for a lot of people to get into different sports, but what about fantasy sports? Because that requires a lot of knowledge, and it's not like a coin flip. Yes, I think as an avenue to get new fans interested, for sure. It, it totally works. And what's fascinating, and I, I had a friend who won our, our hockey league back in the day, and he didn't know anything about hockey. That's why he won. He had no biases. He had no pre-existing biases from watching. He had no attachments to teams or players. He just saw the numbers completely uh, objectively, and it actually made him really good. And he won the league. And I, I do think, and then this, this guy, this example, he ended up becoming a fan, and you know, within a year he was buying jerseys of players. And to me, if you're not a fan, fantasy can really get you into the sport because it forces you to learn. And then you, you end up, you know, you're, you're not just following one team. You're following any game, any team. Any game can be interesting to you because you want to watch your players. And then you, you end up absorbing so much about the sport. I think it's the opposite. If you're already a diehard, fantasy can sometimes hurt your fanhood, I think, because it changes the way you watch a game. It could be your, your favorite team, but suddenly, uh-oh, you have a couple players who are on the other team and you need them to score on your favorite teams. You're like, oh, I hope my team wins 6-5. Or, you know, your opponent has the goalie on your favorite team and you're like, ah, oh, you don't want that. You don't want your favorite team to get a shutout now. So it can actually can affect your enjoyment if you're already a fan. But to your question, Victoria, I think it absolutely is a realistic avenue to create new fans, 100%. All right. I'm going to paraphrase this next question. From Daniel Roth, how the heck do you replace Nick Ehlers? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't use heck. He was more angry than just heck. Um, this is a tough question because there's no context. Like, how do you replace Eller's Law? I don't know how deep the league is. Are you in that 64-team league? Is, are you in a league like Stevens with 14 four teams? So it's like is there could be – if you're in a shallow league, there's, maybe there's someone just as good as Eller's on the wire. If you're in a deep league, you're in big trouble. But I'm going to assume based on how upset Daniel Roth is <laughs> that he's in a deeper league where he's really legitimately worried about replacing Eller's. So what do we know about what Ellers brings to the table in fantasy? He's a pretty high-volume shooter. He's a point-per-game guy. He plays in the power play. So who in medium to deep leagues could be available that could replace that skill set? If you're looking really short-term, so you're in a head-to-head matchup you're trying to win this week, I think you look at Andre Burkowski because he's temporarily uh, promoted to the Miko Rantanen job on the right wing of Colorado's top line with Landis Cogman McKinnon. And Burkowski's doing a really good Rantanen impression. He's getting a couple points per game as long as he's up there. Rantanen could be back by as early as Friday, but as long as Rantanen's out, Burkowski becomes an extremely valuable player. So that could replicate the production of Nick Ellers. Uh, if you're looking a bit longer term, who might be available if your league is pseudo-shallow, uh, I think Kevin Fiala is someone that brings a similar skill set to what Ellers brings in terms of getting a lot of shots and Fiala, he kind of hit a skid earlier in sort of the middle part of the season, but he's getting hot again, seven points in his past seven games with a lot of shots. So he could kind of replicate that production. And again, this is a relative that you'd have to have a relatively shallow league or medium league, but Jason Robertson, who I've talked about on this podcast before, he's been fantastic. He's shooting the puck a lot as well. So he's someone who could replace that production. Deeper league, maybe look at Josh Norris, who's playing really well lately. And for a while, the Senators guys, their plus minus was a drain. But if you look at a lot of them, Ottawa's being more competitive. A lot of those plus minuses are kind of holding now closer to even over the past few weeks. So no, there's no longer that plus minus worry. And Norris is playing quite well, getting a lot of power play time. And just for shots with a big mix of hits for Luke Cunning in Nashville, he's playing really well as well. So hopefully that answers your question, Daniel. It's hard to know, again, without knowing your lead size. So I took a guess for you. I, and my question here is, did you say Rantanen just because of who's asking the next question? No, but it's funny. I, I have Miko Rantanen in my own league, and I picked up Andre Burkowski. So I can tell you from experience that it was a good idea. It's worked quite well. Because here's our next question from Rantanen Raven. The two weakest producers on my team are Horvat and Miller. Playoffs are coming up soon. Are they worth holding on to for the possibility of extra games played, or should I drop them? Wow, this has got to be another shallow league if you're thinking about dropping Horvath, especially JT Miller, who's almost a point-per-game player, does a, you know adds a lot of different statistical factoids to the overall categories. This has got to be a shallow league if you're thinking about dropping them. Um, I don't think that you'd want to drop them because the game advantage for the Canucks, it's not just, oh, I'm going to get an extra game here or there. It's significant at this point. Every team in the NHL has uh, 10 games or fewer remaining except for the Canucks. They have 14 games left. So that could be a massive difference. Um, so I would not be dropping them unless there's some amazing players available. I'm talking, you know, top 30 players available. I don't see any reason why you want to drop Miller, especially Miller or Horvat, because you're just going to get so much volume. And it's volume from guys that are playing in the top six, getting power play, special teams, all that stuff. They're going to give you a lot. So I would advise against dropping them because 14 games, is that's significant. All right, our next question comes from Ben Thielman. In a points-only league, when would you recommend dropping better players for Flames and Canucks players to get in those final games of the season, which kind of ties in with the last question? Yeah, I don't really get the Flames element. They have eight games left, so the Flames don't have an advantage over any other team. Like They're just kind of with the pack. It's not like the Flames are in the same boat as the Canucks, so I wouldn't worry too much about Flames guys. Uh, but like I said, the Canucks have 14. So to me, it's like 
you don't have to go adding every every scrub on the Canucks as if kind of like in a playoff pool when you pick one team to win the cup and you just draft everybody on their team. I wouldn't go that far, but if you're looking at someone who's like the tier of a Tanner Pearson who's playing, you know, plays usually second line or like a middle six forward, someone like that, 14 games from someone of that caliber could be better than, you know, seven games from a first liner. So that's the tier of guys I think you'd make exceptions for. Um, the other thing is if you're in a league with hits and blocks and you have someone who's been pretty reliable for you, well, you're still better off because those are just pure volume stats. You can get someone from the Canucks, whether it's, you know, I got to remind myself of who's healthy right now, but a Travis Hamannick type, Alexander Edler type, they can get a lot of hits and blocks and then you're doubling their games compared to some of their opponents. That's absolutely worth it because you want to accumulate that volume. So that's important. So I would say for forwards, looking for, you know, second line guys and on the Canucks. And then if you're looking defense, I would use that advantage when it comes to the bruisers if you're in like hits and blocks leagues. All right. Our next question comes from Mart or Mart M2K. In a pool where only points matter, in what order would you draft the following prospects in the upcoming draft? Grant Clark, Jesper Wallstead, Luke Hughes, and Dylan Gunther. I know who I would choose, but who would you choose? Yeah, I thought about this. So the first disclaimer I want to give is if, in terms of the hockey news, what we do with prospects. The prospect guru is Ryan Kennedy. He's always the authority over me by far and over Steven or Steven's the authority over me as well because Steven and Ryan, their focus is on prospects, especially when it comes to players who are not drafted yet. My area of expertise is typically more players who are drafted. Once they're in the system, then I'm doing a lot more work following their development. So I'm better at telling you a lot about guys who are in team systems. That said, when I know about these guys, I'll give you the best answer I can. So my order, I know Jesper Wallstead I'd put last because a goaltender just in fantasy, it takes a long time for them to develop. You know, you can't look at someone like Spencer Knight who's getting into a game already as the template to follow because he's a unicorn. He's absolutely the exception. And it's not like he went right to the NHL either from his draft year. So with Wallstead, you got to expect a few years and that would still be considered good if he's playing games by 22 in the NHL. That's that's good, right? Like Ilya Samsonov would be a good example, right? In terms of someone who was really high pedigree goaltender but still took several seasons to get there. Uh, I would say Dylan Gunther would be first. He's just got big time upside. He's scoring at a goal per game, two points per game this season. I know it's... It, it's been a kind of a bizarre season in Major Junior this year, but in that small sample, he was outstanding. So if you're looking at big-time scoring upside, big-time shot, I think you go with him. The tough decision, and this is this is not just for fantasy. This is for scouts. When it comes to Brant Clark versus Luke Hughes, they're considered a coin flip from what I understand. They're really close in terms of their skills. They're both really talented offensively. What's intriguing about Luke Hughes is, Yes, he's a huge brother, but he's the big huge brother. He's a lot bigger than Jack and Quinn. So you could have the natural offensive skill as them, but also with more size and strength. So it's, he could be more effective quicker, you could argue. Um, but I would lean slightly toward Brent Clark. He's playing against men in Slovakia uh, already, which is nice for honing his skills. It's been sort of a symptom of the season, um, getting to do that, which is not something you'd normally be doing as a major junior player, but because of COVID and the OHL, this is all you could do. And Brent Clark projects to be a goal scorer from the point. He's got a big-time shot. And goals from defensemen are golden in fantasy. You know, he could be, a, in terms of the actual statistical lines you're going to get, he could be looking at someone who puts up Dougie Hamilton-type numbers. So I would lean to him. So I would say the order would be Gunther, Clark, Hughes, and Wallstead. And Wallstead, well, far behind the others. No disrespect to him, but just goaltenders take longer. Uh, so, Stephen, how did I do? Do you think that's an accurate, as a prospect guy, did I give a good breakdown there? What do you think? 
you you nailed it 100 actually um so the thing so brant clark i'm always be partial to because i've watched him play for four or five years at this point and he was always like the best offensive threat he had over 100 points in his minor midget season which is pretty much unheard of the only defenseman that i would say was comparable in terms of offensive talent at that age in ontario was ryan merkley now merkley's had other problems that means why he hasn't been NHL at this point, but I think Clark is a very good bet. Gunther, we know he's such an incredible offensive talent. He's not going to play a ton with Team Canada's, or not going to play a huge role with Team Canada at the U18s, but this team's stacked. They won 12-2 against Sweden. They're 12-1, sorry, against Sweden yeah, last night, so it's a pretty darn good team. Uh, Luke Hughes injured right now, but I think when he gets to the NHL, he's going to be he's not a guy who's going to be there immediately, probably take a year or two of college, but when he's ready, he'll be ready. And Jesper Wallstadt is an incredible goaltender. Um, in I would put personally put a case there for being a first overall pick this year in the draft, not likely, and I, I, I would not put any money on it, but in terms of pure talent, I think in five years or ten years, we're talking about him and Brant Clark being the two best players in this draft. That's my prediction. Interesting. Would you, so if you're comparing Wallstead to Spencer Knight and Yaroslav Askarov, how would you rank the three in terms of the, mm-hmm. the Mount Rushmore of current goaltender prospects? I'm going to go with Askarov. He is the best goalie prospect we've seen in quite a long time, but it's very close between the two after that. I, I'm giving... I'll say Spencer Knight, and that's partly because he's further apart in his development, but Wallstead impressed me more at the same age. So that could change. But again, Wallstead is one of the most calm goalies I've ever seen play in men's professional hockey in Europe. Like the guy is not bothered by anything. So he's a lot of fun to watch. It's too bad we didn't get to see him with the U18s because he's older than that. So anyways, Nick Campano asks, what should I do with Chris Joyger? In a tight race for the top spot in the goalie wins category, my other three goalies are Talbot, Samsonov, and Sorokin. Should I drop for another G or an F? Yes. To me, this doesn't even seem like a very tough decision because Dredger's hurt, and it's not like he was starting every game. He was still sharing the net with Roski. Now you have Spencer Knight in the mix, so I don't see any reason to keep him, especially if you're you know you're into the nitty gritty now, where you're every team in the playoffs or the home stretch. You know you're you're that race car that's losing parts, getting to the finish line, so you just discard whatever you don't need. And your goalies, you, you have Talbot, Samson, and Sorokin, so you're in pretty good shape already, especially with the way Cam Talbot's been playing. So I think you're fine, and I would consider that a pretty easy choice to make that drop. All right. Next question comes from Jordan Jones, who asks, what's a way of making goalies more viable in fantasy? Every pool I'm in seems to devalue them, and it's not worth having anyone spectacular. I could say that as a guy who loves to pick the best goalies humanly possible. One fantasy league I was in, I had, I think it was last year, I had Rask, I had Vasilevsky, and I had Connor Hellebuck. Well, think about how the Vesna Trophy voting went. <laughs> Pretty good trio right there. But I didn't win the pool because the goalies were just not getting me the points that players. So how do you make those guys more worthwhile in a, in a pool? Yes, I have a definitive answer for you here because we've been working on it in my own league for a long time, and we figured it out. I will say, as a qualifier, though, things are starting to get crazy. Just the usage of goaltenders in the last couple of years in the NHL has gone so haywire, especially because of COVID and condensed schedules. So that's something that there's no repairing that. Just the bell cow who plays every game, there are not as many of them anymore. We're actually, we have the fewest goalies in, it. There's in our upcoming, our next edition of the Hockey News, the playoff preview. I have a story on this. We have the fewest goalies in history starting more than 50 games in, in full seasons or prorated this season. We have the most goalies ever who are starting 10 games, 20 games. So it it's so watered down. There are just so many goalies who play. It's hard to 
find value in every single one of them. That said, what you do want is a system that rewards the goalies who are really special, the ones who are really good goalies and get to play a ton. It should be, it should be justice for them to be dominant players. So the way you do it, I, I think it's important to start one, more than one goaltender in your league because if everybody has one, everybody's got a stud. It, it devalues everything, right? But if you have to start two goalies, it's hard to find two good ones and the, the ones that are dominant are really important. The number one way to give your goaltenders value is to manipulate your, your stat categories. So what you want to do, you know, if your league only has wins and shutouts and you have eight skater categories, well, your goalies are going to be worth very little. Their impact on your matchups are not important. But if you have an even split or even if it's, you know, 40% of your if – you if you have 10 categories but four of them are goalies, then goalies become significant influencers in matchups. They can be first-round picks. And what you want is a mixture of rate stats and volume stats. So – Rate stats being goals against average and save percentage because you want to reward good goaltending. Uh, but you also want volume stats. You want to reward goalies who play a lot. So wins and shutouts and saves. And that way, if you do all those categories, then the stud goalies become massive fantasy players in terms of their value. Someone like Andre Vasilevsky, who's going to have good rate stats and good volume stats, a true bell cow. And that in our league, the league I play in, Vasilevsky would be worth a top three overall pick. And I think that's fair. Like he's one of the most important players in real life. And you're, if you're trying to achieve the equivalent of real life value, that's the number one way to do it. Increase your goalie categories or decrease your skater categories. Just make it so that goalies have a bigger piece of the pie and their influence on your matchups or your roto standings, depending on your format, will be massive. We in this one pool I used to be in, we actually had kind of a, a really strange clause where if a goalie scored a goal, you'd get basically two thousand points and you basically <laughs> win the pool, like no matter what. And this one guy picked Mike Smith one year and then he scored. And then another year he picked Pekka Rene and he scored. And wow. it's like the guy was like a mid-pack team both times, never won a pool except for those two years off of goalie goals. I don't recommend that, but giving a massive boost to that. Maybe the goalies like, yeah, now we'll score for these guys, this fantasy team. Maybe they'll go win because I scored. Not really, but uh, have you ever seen a goalie goal in person? I've never seen one live. No, I have not. My first game working for the North York Rangers, um, the it was kind of like the I shouldn't say backup goalie because he took the starting role, but the guy who was brought in as the backup goalie in an exhibition game got the puck, deked out a guy in the other team, and shot it in the empty net and scored. And I was filming the game for a little feature we were doing, I turned the camera off just as she shot the puck. So, uh -huh. so there was actually zero video footage of this goal that ever exists. That hurts. That hurts. So we're going to go to our starting lineup. One thing I want to say, make you think for next, for a future episode, someone did suggest something, um, junk food as your starting lineup. Okay. But anyways, okay, your, uh, starting lineup for this week. Okay, excellent. So this starting lineup is called discontinued items. And I'm not talking in a COVID context, like things we can't have right now. I'm talking things that are awesome and just don't exist anymore. At least as far as I know, they don't exist. If they do, please let me know. I'd be very excited. Okay, so the starting lineup, discontinued items. Number one, Wayne Gretzky Pro Stars cereal. When he was an Edmonton Oiler, he had this awesome cereal that kind of tasted like Honey Nut Cheerios. It was out in the 80s. It was delicious. I think it was the best cereal of all time. It disappeared as far as I know, and I was crushed as a little child. Number two, chocolate-dipped Oreos. So what this is, it's an Oreo that, that's dipped in milk chocolate. So on the outside, it's like a seal. You can't even tell it's an Oreo. And you bite into it, there's an Oreo in the inside. And it's been so long, I almost think that I hallucinated them. I'm like, did those ever really exist? But I was on my honeymoon in 2015 in Greece, and I saw them. And I was like, oh, my God. Greece still has the chocolate-covered Oreos. They exist. It's the only place I've ever seen them in the last 30 years. So maybe they're out there, but I have not seen them since. 
other than that one time in Greece, and they were so good. I want them to come back. Number three, video stores. I'm just going to sound, you know, very nostalgic. And obviously, streaming services, Netflix, Prime, it's all great. But there was something fun about going to the video store, looking around, getting some junk food with it. And the local video store where I used to grow up had a deal called five movies for five days, five bucks. So any non-new release, you could get five for five bucks. It was awesome. It was just, there was a warm and fuzzy feeling. It helped me fall in love with movies. So I miss video stores. Number four, I'm really on a cookie kick here. The little mini chocolate chip cookies at McDonald's that came in that white box. I, I think McDonald's still has cookies, but I'm almost positive they don't have those mini cookies anymore. And they were delicious. Next up, this is this. If I was actually ranking these, this would be my number one. The Montreal Expos. They were awesome. It was fun having two Canadian baseball teams. They got robbed in the 1994 season. It was very sad when they left. It became the Washington Nationals, and I think the market would be very robust. Robust if they came back. I missed the Expos. Number six. This is this is pretty, pretty sad. Magazines. Magazines are gone, but they're you know there aren't as many of them out there. And I still want people to buy magazines like what Stephen's holding up. Nothing can replicate the feeling of holding something in your hand. Also, a lot of people are exposed to too much blue light. I have a special pair of glasses over there because I get eye strain from just looking at screen, screen, screen all day long, whether it's your phone, your tablet, your computer. So you can pick up a magazine and hold it. That's why you should subscribe to the Hockey News. You see what I did there? I turned this list into a plug to buy Future Watch, which is available on newsstands now. Our playoff preview should be out any day now as well. So... I want to say one thing. We do have a, a good point here from social media. Who is the first, cool trivia fact, who is the first NHL goalie to score a goal and record a shutout in the same game? Do you know the answer? Um, okay, I'm trying to think of goalie goals. Like Billy Smith is a goal person. Mark Tamperer, Grant Fuhrer. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jose Theodore. Bingo. You got it. Nice job. He, uh, uh, he was actually the goalie that got me into wanting to play goalie. And it was just because I thought his pads and his helmet were so cool. I got his hockey card from... I want to say it was McDonald's at the time, and it was so cool. I actually got a signed hat that looks like the toque that he wore in the outdoor game. Um, a family friend of ours was like a big Montreal Canadiens collector and gave it to me, and that was really cool. And uh, so, yeah, that was a cool trivia answer. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks for the question. Uh, so that concludes the episode this week. Hope you enjoyed it. We are going to be back, but obviously the fantasy season for most is winding down, so things are going to get a little different. Our next episode in a couple weeks, we're going to do a keeper special because most people around this time of year, you have to start making your decisions on who to keep as your leagues wrap up. So we're going to do an all-keeper episode, and then later on we'll do a special episode for the start of playoff pools. And then the schedule will spread out a little bit, but we won't go away. We'll just – We'll be here and there for special editions. I'll make sure we tweet out everything so you're posted on when the next episode is coming. But for now, sticking to our regular schedule. So we'll see you in a couple weeks with the Keeper Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast with Matt Larkin. Make sure to send questions into Matt at THN Matt Larkin on Twitter and visit THN.com slash subscribe to have issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.